And we're back with John Dubois, designer of Avignon, A Clash of Popes, and its many expansions. Welcome to Design Diary, the podcast where you get to look inside my board game design notebook as well as what's going on inside my head. We look at a new word each day from the sense of mechanics, tone, theme, or inspiration for a full game. Today's word is... Cursory. Rapidly and often superficially performed or produced. Hasty. Take it away, John, and quick, go. Okay, so uh, cursory, <laughs> I'm thinking more of a game mechanism, which is a quick glance at something and being having to make an action based on that. And so that could be anything from um, a game like uh, Doodle Quest, oh, yeah. where you are taking a quick look at something and then you're drawing an overlay to try to, to replicate that or do the task. Um, or any sort of real-time game has a cursory element involved. Um, a game like Mysterium, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be a neat, neat mechanism to add to Mysterium if you think it's too easy, um, where you just look at the vision for five to ten seconds, yeah. and you have to remember what the vision is and try to recall what elements in there the, uh, the ghost meant for you to have. Um, and there's one other game I just thought of, it was an Egyptian-themed game of some kind where you used your phone as a viewfinder. Really? And you got to look at things in a pyramid for a very short period of time. And then you had to describe what you were seeing to the other players. I, I heard them talk about it in the Dice Tower a couple times. But I, I, I mean, I just thought of this 30 seconds ago, and I cannot oh. remember the name of this game. And the other thing I was thinking of is that would be an interesting element to add to um, an escape room game. Oh, yeah, for sure. Where, you know, you only get so much time to look at something or, you know, it's a lights on, lights off kind of thing. Kind of like how you turn the light, you get 10 seconds before the lights go back off and you got to try to figure out the code based on that. Yeah, that's... That's really cool. And lights off, lights on to me, I just did this a couple days ago, is like cards face up, cards face down. Like that's just Yeah. Anything that's like light and dark, that's that's essentially where my where my brain goes. Absolutely. So now I'm trying to figure out here we got Are you looking for that game? Yes. I'm going on board game gate trying to figure out what the uh like what the category for app-driven games are. <laughs> Mask of Anubis. What is it called? Mask of Anubis. I've heard of that, but I didn't know that it had that that aspect to it. Let me let me double check and make sure it's the right one. Mask of Anubis or Mask of the Pharaoh. It's yeah, that's re-implemented it. by Mask of Moai, and there is yeah there's a little viewfinder thing that that turns your smartphone into vr goggles that's neat. yes this is definitely it and so you get like that you get to navigate the maze and so the person who wears the mask can see the maze and tell the another player how what direction to go in so basically, it's one player can see what the other player moves, and they're doing they're doing uh, um, going the, the one player can see is telling the player who can move where to go. So of course, I'm picking another communication based game. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And so something like that where it, it's something where you've got the viewfinder, but it only works for 15 seconds. So you can look yeah. around the room for a very short period of time and then try to, I don't know, find treasure or make a grab for something based on what you saw. Um, I mean, you could do like like implementing an iPhone or something is great for that, where if you had some sort of app that's, uh, I don't know if Snapchat does it. I'm too old to know, but I know they do those things where you send someone a photo and it's gone after one view and the view is like 15 seconds or something along those lines. Uh, there could be some, some like app-driven content where you get to see it and the app kind of controls that length and all. Right. So that that would be my uh, how I would bring cursory into a board game is, is to add that uh, that time-limited you get to see and do your quick visual scan and then you got to make decisions based on your imperfect information. So, to put you on the spot, how would you add cursory to Avignon? Now, Avignon, if people don't know, John designed Avignon, and I published it through Buttonshy, and it's a it's a push and pull game of influence between popes trying to go from uh, Avignon, uh, France, to Rome, Italy, and it's just head to head. You're pushing and pulling them, and using abilities that allow you to push and pull them more. Uh, so how would you introduce that to that game? Or, or um, I know you probably wouldn't, but if you had to. Here is how I would do it. It is. if, And then this is in the the schism implementation of the game, so the expansion from the board game of the month club, um, where each player has five different character roles in front of them. And so the the red character on the board, the cardinal character on the board could be a different actual role with different mechanics for the two different players. Um, you get a set amount of time at the start of the game to study the other players' roles, and then you flip them over and keep them to yourself. Yeah. And so you only have that cursory glance at the resources your opponent has, and then you have to try to remember that um, so that you don't necessarily have perfect information as to what your opponent can do on their turn. Um, so if you walk into one of their abilities perfectly, you just don't know that. And it is it, like, and people look down on memory mechanics in, in most games of mostly how they're implemented, but this isn't just a memory mechanic. It's also like in how you, not just how you store and recall that information. It's how you quickly build that information. And, and, like I don't remember what they're called, but you know, every good boy does fine. What are those called? The uh, yeah, the the mnemonics. Yeah, and which was a, a episode we had on this show. Um, <laughs> but we uh, like that would that would be perfect, a perfect mixture with this. Yeah, you know, I mean, now I'm thinking the, about it and going maybe maybe schism is better if you don't ever see what your opponent picks. It's true. We're we're developing. <laughs> you need to figure right out <laughs> figure out what uh what what your what your opponent's character abilities are based on what they do. And, <laughs> and they and just hope they don't they cheat. Just, and well, that's where the love letter rule comes in, right? <laughs> don't play with people who cheat. I, I agree. <laughs> you, you'd be surprised how many times I say that to people when developing and how many times I said it to Chip Bouvet, especially. Well, and, and there was a discussion that went around Twitter yesterday about um, alpha player in games and whether or not it's a designer's responsibility to address what is, in reality, a player problem. Um, you know, the, the, that, and the um, assertion um, what, by the first original poster was 
that the alpha player problem is not a game issue. That there are some some cooperative games that are players acting independently to achieve a goal, and then there are cooperative games that are solitaire by committee. That's true. And yeah. in games that are solitaire by committee, it's up to the group to establish their own rules about that, so that the alpha player doesn't emerge or is in some way reined in. Um, whereas if you're playing co-op that is players completely independent, um, and I don't even remember what his, what his example was, I think it might have been Spirit Island where there was just too much information for it to be solitary committee. Yeah. Um, then players would do their thing. Um, but that to think of those two different kinds of solitary game as the same game genre doesn't do credit to either one. Yeah, that's that's a I think that's a good approach because you know, you can make a game that solves that problem, but it doesn't solve that problem in games where it would be a problem. Like if it's if all information is open, the the problem is going to persist. It's it's just yeah. Um, well, and if I remember, if I remember correctly, the, the first version of Pandemic I owned, which was I think the first edition or second edition or second printing, you didn't actually have your cart your hand open. Yeah, I, I remember, I believe it was the same thing, where it was just that you could talk about your cards, but you could never show them, I believe it was, or something along those lines. And, and, and people played the game and said, well, well why not? Like, if, if I can talk ad infinitum about my cards in my hand, if I can tell you I have Paris, London, and Washington, but not show you I have Paris, London, and Washington, why? What's the point? Yeah, there's no like, you know, is, is there's there, no trader mechanic or anything like that. <laughs> benefit to like cursory information here, um, and so I, I don't remember. I don't. I haven't seen the second edition, but I know in Pandemic Legacy, your hands are open. Yeah, and that sort of addresses that that issue a bit. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was just makes... a holdout from just old older styles or what that it because it didn't make any sense. Like it was just it rewarded somebody that could remember all the cards better than somebody that couldn't. Right, and and it didn't. I mean, and there are definitely games that do that. That'll, that'll you know reward almost any trick-taking game rewards the card counter. Yeah, but it's like in Pandemic, it was asking you to hide information that there was no. Not only was it not a benefit to hiding it, but you could play around it by <laughs> making the game less fun. Yeah. I The only <laughs> and, thing I ever thought was maybe it was just trying to get you in the theme and get you, like, in the mood of of just, you know, just panic and terror. And I don't know. I really, I really yeah. couldn't find an explanation for it. And as somebody who has the worst memory of all time, <laughs> it, 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 I struggled with it. So I think we just didn't do it. I think we just played open. <laughs> <laughs> so you just ignored it. That's great. Well, I mean, it, it's the 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 whole real time cursory thing is not not a a um, not a fun mechanism for my wife. So we don't usually use it unless um, it's a very rare circumstance. We'll get out an escape or something like that that has the uh, the time limitations. And to me, it just has to be a really good fit that that the game that that that's what makes that game special. 
You know, there's a lot right. of games that have it in it, and it's just it's just okay. But when it's really what makes it shine, then I then I really enjoy it. Cool. Well, um, this was fun. We did uh, 14 minutes or so. That was one of the longer episodes, but we had we had some good chat. Uh, tell everybody how they can catch you, so how they can find you. You can find me on Twitter uh, at John Dubois, um, and that's really the best way to get a hold of me because I don't really maintain a public social presence anywhere else. Uh, it's, it's the only one that matters in my eyes. Except for, uh, you need to build a Snapchat so you can send some cursory information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> build chat, Snapchat and then delete it within 15 seconds. Right. Oh, man. All right, cool. Well, this was fun, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Okay. Sounds great.